0: Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight
1: to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa.
2: So in today's episode, ladies, we have Vanessa Peters. She is an MD and founder of vmd investing and she's been investing for over 12 years very impressive story and journey that you're going to absolutely love i think what was one of the most helpful things we talked about was that we talked a lot about the importance of diversification there's a lot of different schools of thought on that very word um, whether to diversify whether or not to do it and she gives such a great um visual and metaphor about uh how to do it and how to do it in a way that you are managing your funds you are building wealth for your family And she comes from that perspective. And I think it's such a helpful lesson for women to hear.
1: And Vanessa, she has been investing in more than 22 different syndications. So she has a lot on her belt. And for you that are listening right now and just getting started in syndication, that might sound daunting, right? But we broke it down. What is the recipe How do you get started? And everything gets started with awareness of what really makes you happy. And then you see what you're bringing to the table and pivot. You do your due diligence and you really match what you're looking for, what you're bringing to the table, what is available to you, to the exit strategy. So this is a very, very cool conversation. If you have a full-time job or looking to invest in syndication, this is the episode for you. Enjoy. Enjoy.
3: Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure.
4: You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today.
2: Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show, where we are on a mission, a passion, and... Lightblood of us, so to speak, uh, to what empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. And whatever, as Andressa always says, right?
1: Balance. That's right. Means whatever you. balance means to you. Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. it looks really different every day as women, as investors trying to just deal with a lot of different plates, right? <laughs> so um, thanks again for being back with us. We have an amazing guest as we do. we like love to get into women's lives and stories and paths and journeys because it is a journey. And today we have Vanessa Peters on with us. We're going to get into uh, her story here in a moment, but welcome, Vanessa, to our
0: show. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here.
2: Yeah, we're really excited to get into her um you read her bio and I don't know how she has time literally to do anything, right? It's one of those people who are like, what? Does she have four four lives? But anyway, we're going to get into her in a moment. As we always like to do, right, Andres? We like to get connected to all yeah. of the amazing, amazing women that are here on this journey with us because we want to share one quick tip, something that's coming up for us that would be... Um, Helpful to you, hopefully. <laughs> so it's my turn, right, Andresa? It is. Well, you have. I got. So I'm on. I'm listening, not like Andressa listens to four books at one time. I don't listen to four books at one time. I typically <laughs> just focus on one, right? I'm like, just it's like, well, I'm reading this book. I'm like, aren't you reading four books or listening to yeah. four books?
1: <laughs> How many are you listening to now, Angessa? Four. Yeah, I, that's the oh, wow. I just that's totally made max. that up. No, that's I, my no right now. It's four, But that's my max. I can't, wow. okay. I can't deal with that because it's different, different subjects. Sometimes Subject. okay. I, I have like the, you know, like flavor and ice cream flavor. Today, I want this flavor. The that's other a good day, point. I want this All flavor. Right.
2: Well, you're it. still very impressive that. You're doing that. So the one <laughs> book I'm focused on right now okay. is um, it's actually called Mindset. Um, mm-hmm. I want to make sure I have her Um, her name, Carol Dweck actually heard about this from mel robbins and anyone who loves mel robbins she suggested her so i'm like all right if mel robbins is recommending her I, I definitely want to check it out but it really talks about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset mm. and i'm I literally just got it into it I'm in, I'm in chapter two but for folks like like all of us and and the women listening are in interested in growing right It is very interesting because the fixed mindset like if you told a child um you're smart um, so when you're not smart, you're not going to achieve versus the growth mindset being all about learning and growth. So I was like, you know, you that's like, you know, oh, I know that, or yeah, totally. But I find myself now saying something things differently than my kids. So, you know, my son was like, did something really well. And I was about to say, you you know, you did such a smart thing. I I was about to use the word smart, and I'm like, Okay, don't you smart, she wouldn't, she wouldn't like that. You know, the woman I'm listening to here. So <laughs> I need like to that. say something different. So, you know, I shifted it up and I said, Zach, what if you didn't do well on that? Um, would it be more important to get a hundred or to have learned from something and, and, and grew from it, even if you got it wrong? Learn from it, mom, You know, so you even how to think about it. So I just share this with everyone. It's A, it's a great book, but B, um, and I'd love to have her on her show, but B, it, it's really helpful for me as I'm being more mindful, right? of not being so connected to achievement it's all about learning and growth and i get that but some days you know it just you don't feel that way you know especially if it's a really tough learning experience i'll just say that so i just um I, i'm getting a lot from it and i think we need to keep i need to keep mindfulness of my kids because the word smart comes out of my mouth a lot and um i just need to be mindful of it so they don't connect smart oh when i'm not smart i'm nothing you know and and that's mm-hmm. really what she's talking about with the fix versus the growth. So anyway, so i really in the now. beginning
1: stages of it. So I just wanted to share a little bit what I got from well, today. I, I need to add that to my list of- There you go, there <laughs> you go. But it, I'm having different, different conversations with, with my six year old son now. And I'm kind of like pushing the boundaries in terms of like terminologies that I use with him. Yesterday we learned about the word interpretation Like Mm. when somebody says something and I don't agree to it, I should say, no, I'm not this or Mm. that. It's like, oh, that's your interpretation. And then he's like, well, people that wear glasses, they have different interpretations, don't they? I was like, yeah, everybody that has two eyes or one eye, whatever, people have eyes. Yeah, They have different interpretations. And he's going to swimming class now. And he said to me, he's just got started. Um, a couple of classes in and he's like, how many classes do I have left to complete this? And I was like, this, it's not about completing a number of classes. We're practicing every day and we're going to learn something every day until you learn how to swim. He's like, oh, so it's not like ten classes, like ten fingers. Everything is like ten fingers. It's like no, it's about practicing, right? We're gonna practice every day, and that's what it's all about practicing yeah. and getting different lessons. And you are in competition with yourself, not with anybody yeah. else. Am I better than what I was yesterday? Yes, no, maybe. So that's that's what I I am sharing with him, and he's he's getting more and more. So I feel like okay. You know, you're like, okay, he's getting it. Uh, I, I won today. <laughs>
2: yeah, but you need so, to keep reiterating it, right? Um, yeah. it constantly. So, so, um, take take that into our world, right, with with the little ones. And it's just, it's important to learn these things ourselves. But it's how do we translate this right to our family? That's what it's all about, wealth building and all the stuff we're doing. Absolutely. So, uh, without further ado, let's get to um, Vanessa. Thank you again for being on our show. We so appreciate your time. Appreciate you sharing. Uh, your knowledge with us and our community. So we always like to kind of kick things off uh, with our guests and ask them what propelled you, what inspired you to begin investing?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, Well, I had kind of a protracted um, investing experience, um, kind of a long gap in between. Um, I had always purchased my own place, you know, so i would had a couple of those under my belt. But in 2008, uh, the you know, the market had obviously just, you know, crashed and a realtor friend of mine suggested that I use some of my extra cash to purchase a home and it was a short sale. And so I did, um, uh, up in Riverside County, I'm in San Diego County. So it's just North of here about half hour. I bought this really nice house, short sale. Um, and you know, I was like, okay, well that I put 40 grand into it. And that was a ton of money for me at the time. And, um, I noticed that the value kept going down because I bought kind of really early in 2009. And so I was a little scared. I wished I had kept reading and learned a little bit more. Um, Then I would have started snapping up a few more houses during that downturn, but I didn't know. And, you know, I didn't make a ton of money at that time. And so I just sort of said it and forget it. I got some great tenants in there. They've been in there for 12 years now, I think. And um, I just got busy. I got married, I had a child, I was focusing on my career. And I wasn't thinking about real estate investing. So life was good. But as my son got a little older, I started to notice that I was working a lot. And was this one kind of like pivotal moment, actually. Um, We were vacationing in Minnesota to visit some family. And the boys, um, I have one boy, and and, uh, he has a a brother, a a half-brother. And they were riding bikes. And the parents were kind of all, we had rented these bikes. We were on this shady green path around a lake in Minnesota. If you know Minnesota, there's like a zillion lakes, right? And I'm in Southern California where we don't have that. So it was this kind of like idyllic environment. We were riding bikes and they were kind of laughing up in front. And I love riding bikes and I hadn't done it in years. And I just had this feeling and I was had to kind of go inside and be like, what is that? And I had done some, you know, yoga, meditation, personal growth, but I kind I of had to search for this feeling and I was like, oh, that's contentment. It's like happiness. And I was sort of, <laughs> I mean, it was a great feeling, but then I also was like, I don't think I get enough of that. Um, I need mm. to, and it created this like crack in me. And I was like, I need to find more of this. And I'm, I guess I'm a pretty intense person and get very literal. So I went on a quest to recreate that experience nearby home. Like I need to find a lake or I can ride my bike around it. And then that will recreate my happiness. <laughs> and so, um, of course, like I said, in Southern California, that's sort of hard to find. It's hot here. It's dry. Um, but there's Lake Tahoe. And so, you know, yeah, it's only 10 hours away. But, you know, I figured I would look there and I and I just started diving into real estate. And I kind of had this feeling like what I need to do is divorce my um, my time for money, because that was what it was. It was that I needed to have more time to spend with my family and do things that I really, truly enjoy. Not that I don't enjoy my job, but, you know, I'm trading five days on for two days off, you know, like many of us. And so I knew that real estate was the way to get there. And I started looking in Lake Tahoe for an Airbnb that I could rent. And that would somehow, you know, help me along and I could go there and we could bike around the lake, but it didn't work out because they have uh, permits and that very limited number of permits in that area. So it's like, okay, well, that's not going to work but I didn't give up. I, you know, I was determined at that point. Um, I'm the type of person who will rent out 10 books from the library when I get into something. And so I came home from the library with, you know, 10 books from on real estate. Um, of course, you know, I refreshed my memory with rich dad, poor dad and and stuff like that, but many other books I found a book from bigger, bigger pockets, of course, and started on this journey. And of course, um, I had done this in the past with other hobbies. Um, you know, whatever it might be, my husband thought I was just on another fad. Um, you know, it could be fermenting food or <laughs> the keto diet or, you know, natural home cleaners, you know, so I would go through these fads of things. And um, and so this one really stuck, though. And uh, it was hard for me to find a way to invest in real estate, though, because in an expensive market, being a very conservative person, you know, wanting to learn how to get income, I thought that the only way to do it was to purchase a home like I already did. And so I got a realtor and I scoured the market. I drove all over the place looking for something, anything that would cash flow. Thank God for bigger pockets because they um, had that rent, rental calculator. Mm-hmm. And so I was here locally finding condos. I'm like, well, that one's only 275 or 300. Maybe that will work. And I'd plug all the numbers in and I'd be like, uh, no, it doesn't work. Nothing cash flowed. Most things were a slight negative every month. My realtor was telling me well, you're going to need to feed it. There'll be appreciation. And I was like, no, that's not what they say. No, that's not what, that's not what they say on bigger pockets. I don't want to feed anything. I exactly. want cash flow, right? And so- um, Out of the bat,
1: doses. out of the bat. Right, and, exactly. and it's
0: true that San Diego has some massive appreciation, but I just had to keep looking. And so I started going to meetups. Um, I, I started meeting other investors in Southern California and I learned a lot, um, but what the people that I met were different than me they were kind of earlier in their careers trying to start businesses and they didn't have cash. You know, they had time and I'm the opposite. I have money, but no time. And some folks were doing out of state investing in single family homes, like a turnkey investing. And I thought about that, but it made me feel nervous because I didn't really want to be responsible for a house that was another state away, a plane right away. And so uh, I didn't want to do that. And so, when I stumbled across the word syndication on bigger pockets, I ignored it for quite a while. And then finally, I was like, well, fine, you know, I'll look into this. What is this? And then I was like, oh, wow. And I spoke with somebody who uh, was knowledgeable in the subject. He advised me how it worked, what the returns were. Um, I got, I tried to find information online, but it was really hard at that time to find anything. This was about five years ago. And, um, and so I did my first investment and, the returns were amazing and the cash flow started to come in and I was completely hooked I was like light bulb you know this is gonna work for me um, I have the cash flow to, to supply these syndications with money I don't have to do any work etc so that's how my real estate investing you know got started and I, I moved money from my 401k into a self-directed plan as much as I could did that invested bonuses invested my cash and so you know in the first year I think I invested in like six syndications and you know now I'm up to like 22. And so, you know, I'm really focused on passive cash flow. Um, I do have active real estate as well. Um, so, you know, that's kind of um, just because I like to do that a little bit on the side. But my main focus is is passive cash flow.
1: I look at your your path as like this this recipe, right? So I was taking notes because I think everything can be repeatable. So if you're listening, if you're the same position as as Vanessa, if you look back, right, she had. It all started with the awareness of the feeling and the desire to duplicate that. And I think that's a crucial point because if we are not even aware of what makes us happy and what is important to us, we might say things, yeah, I'll be happy when X, Y, and Z happen. But think about right now, what really makes you happy? And you might be saying, I don't know. Well, so try different things. Ride the bike near a lake. Maybe that's your thing too. Maybe not, right? So try different things. So that awareness is the first thing and the desire to duplicate, I'll say will be the second step. The third thing that she did, she did her homework and she went for it. She took action. She booked an Airbnb. She researched the area and, and continue the perseverance. Lots of doors and the numbers did not make sense. Perseverance. And the last thing is pivot. She pivoted, and she, she. If you look back, she's like, "What do I have? I have money. I don't have time. So, how can that match with which exit strategy matches with that, and I will still get what I need from it?" So, I really like this this quick recipe, Vanessa, that you you shared with us because it's it's duplicable. So, for people that are looking at you and saying, "Oh, but but she X, Y, and Z." But, but, but yes, but, so I'm trying to make this um, doable and achievable for everybody that is listening. But one thing that I want to talk about on your first indication, since you did not have experience about that prior, how did you vet the deal? That's my number one question. And number two, how did you vet the sponsor?
0: Yeah, great question. Because when I learned the... um. The returns. I think that deal was 8% preferred return and 2x over five to seven years in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, I, my first reaction was, mm, this has got to be a scam because those numbers are really good and that's not even possible. So I, you know, did, did my homework on them. I, um, I flew to Dallas I met the sponsor and the property manager. I walked the property and I got a gut check on the folks. I had lunch with them, you know, it was just um, because, you know, I don't want to throw away 50 grand, obviously. um, And have someone run away with my money. Um, So, so that was what I did. I also did a background criminal check on them. And, you know, that was, it was my first time. I don't, you know, I don't always do that, but you know, now that I know more people, it's, it's different, but the first time you're scared and you're meeting these people for the first time. And I did it all by myself. You know, I, I don't even know if I discussed it with my husband because he probably would have been like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so, um, Are you so, more the
1: risk taker in the- Well, I'm in the, the investor.
0: I'm the financial sure. person, the investor, you know, he's kind of like, whatever you think, honey, you know, but I, so, um, but I felt that I was taking a calculated risk, you know, and so I, I, I didn't know a lot about underwriting. I didn't know really hardly anything, but I just did the background check and visited the property and he explained it to me and i did some reading there wasn't as many books on syndication as there are now really so i kind of had to kind of figure it out for myself from reading blogs and stuff like that
2: that's great um love that the the fact that you've invested in 22 syndications It's a lot of syndications you know i was just like counting up how many we've actually run and, and 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 we're about to get into um that's a lot. So how many syndicators does that make up? I'm curious,
0: because then I have a follow-up question. Yeah, so um, I work primarily with about four, synd- okay. four operators, okay? okay? Four but operators. but I joined a mastermind um, about a year and a half ago now that sort of expanded my horizons. So these yeah. folks are, um, they're a mastermind and, and, you know, and an investment advisor. And so they've operators for the group for doctors and dentists, basically. Mark. And so yeah. while I was probably at 15 before I joined them with this like core group of operators that I work with, um, they've kind of expanded me so that I've done, a divers- I diversified my portfolio and I trust them to do yeah. the vetting because they've already done it for their group. And so yeah. that's the only reason I'm more probably at like 10 people, 10 different operators now.
2: Yeah, that's great. So, you know, in, in, in working with that many operators, and and for the women listening that may have, have done a few syndications, may they may have not done twenty two, um, they may. But uh, what would you suggest to them? Are things that like are mistakes to avoid? You know, when you're when you're when you're really analyzing the not just the deal but also the these, you know the operator, if you will. What are just common mistakes? Because there's a lot of syndicators out there, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, especially mm-hmm. right
2: now. So you know, and there's a lot of good ones, obviously, but there are you know there's others that. You may not want to invest with, right? So, what what would you say are those mistakes, or just those? These are the key things you need to look out for now that you've been through the, the ranks of twenty two.
0: Right. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's important to have a one on one conversation with the with the key principal, with the the primary person. Um, you know, someone who's very involved in the deal, and you want to find out how they respond to questions. You know, if you have a list of questions, do they get impatient with you? Are they willing to spend half an hour talking to you? I wouldn't recommend keeping them on the phone for an hour, you know, but um, make sure that you're organized and ask them your questions. And, um, you know, how do they respond to what are the risks of the deal? If they gloss them over, then, you know, I don't like that. I wanna know that they're conservative in their underwriting and that their exit cap is is higher. Even though we're doing well in the market, we can't assume that's gonna continue. And the track record is super important, Um, you know, um, I like to see, you know, at least, you know, three to four deals under their belt. It's hard to have exits because so many of them have started recently, you know, so it's, you can't really go by exits. If they do, it's great, but it means that they've been around for a long time, right? Um, and unfortunately, you know, we don't always have those options. So, um, and, and how what kind of team do they put together? And hopefully the, the addition of the team provides a good balance and they've got someone who focuses on different areas, um, you know, like most teams have someone who's more kind of the outward facing investor relations. And then there's the person who does the underwriting and then there's the person who manages, you know, the the day-to-day construction and and property management and things like that. So I want to see that they've got a good solid team put together, that they're responsive. I want to know how often they're going to be updating me on the deal and, and that kind of thing. What is their exit strategy? There's so many things that I look at when I vet an operator. I did have an experience recently I'll share where um, with actually with the group that I was working with, they they recommended a hospitality um, and I'd never done hospitality before. And it was a hotel uh, renovation or, you know, they, they rebranded. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. It was supposed to be 3.5 X. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. Sure. I'll do that. I had transferred some money from a retirement plan into um, my self-directed plan and had some money to play with. And so Um, I didn't do a lot of due diligence on these guys. And, um, that was last July, last June, July. And since I was placing a fair amount of money, um, I was doing three or four deals at the same time. And so I would caution against that, you know, just be careful. Yes. You have some money burning a hole in your pocket and you want to get it all invested, but, um, you know, I have two things to comment on about that. But the first is that I didn't follow up and I don't recall talking to the, the key principal. Um, and now it's May of the following year and the deal has not closed. And I didn't know that the deal hadn't closed until about a month ago because I forgot about that deal. I had too many in my, in my pocket and too many going on. And Um, We have these group calls every couple of weeks and I miss them because I'm working most of the time. And finally, they they had a special call just for the investors and I hopped on and he's like, yeah, we ran into a problem with COVID and permits and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, you haven't closed yet. My hundred grand has been sitting there doing nothing for like 10 months. And I didn't know. And so that's my, that was on me too, because I didn't follow up. Um, but it was also on them. They didn't tell me. They didn't send any notes out to the investors. Apparently they had given these updates in the you know Zoom calls every other week sometimes, but I wasn't on them. So you know that pissed me off quite a bit. Um, and so I need to be more careful about that. And the second thing is keep track of what you're doing. Make sure you have a good tracker in the spreadsheet because I did wire several things over like a month. And um, at one point I couldn't find 50 grand I was like, cause the wiring name is different from the the name of the deal. It's like a lawyer and I was like sweating bullets for like half an hour while I went through all the PPMs that I had done and I was like finally found it. So just, you know, it can be exciting to invest, yeah. but just make sure you keep track, keep track of everything, get a good spreadsheet system going. So
2: yeah and 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 I and I have to tell you it, it's it's funny, it's not funny. you're saying what you're saying not funny like haha, but when you think about people that are have experience, right you've done twenty two of these. I mean that's a lot of, of syndications. sometimes I think, and I think this is for the experienced women on the call on the on the on listening, we just sometimes like cut a few corners because we like think we may know better, and I know that personally because I feel like I've been there too. Andressa, I don't know if I ever cuts corner. I don't know if you cut corners on anything, but-
1: I'm very like black and white. Yeah, so you're very black and white. Like,
2: <laughs> what's the next step. I can't use you on my example, but my point okay. though, I can use myself, that um, does happen. And I think it's something like, it's like almost like going back to the ABCs and just being like very mindful of that because it can happen when you, oh, you've done these deals and, oh, well, you know, and I know for us, when we got money stolen, right before we closed on, on a syndication, um, you know, we- We could have taken a few more, so we didn't steal the money, of course. We didn't know these people were gonna steal the money. It was a 1031 uh, custodian, but we moved quickly. And that was the part that we took responsibility of. We moved quickly because we were trying to get the deal done, trying to face all this money. I'm not gonna give an excuse, but that was the reason, but we did move quickly and that was on us. So to your point, you know, as you do more deals, flips, rentals, it doesn't matter what your focus is, don't cut those basic corners and not, not like cutting corners. You're trying to be sloppy, but you're just, you 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 have an experience level. So you have more confidence and it makes sense, but don't move too quickly. And I think that's something that does happen to experienced people. Um, and then you learn, you're like, okay, this isn't going to work. Um, in terms of the actual deals, you know, uh, and I know because we, we put these deals together, the numbers, when you're used to like small, Duplexes, or you know, a quadplex. Then the numbers on like a two hundred unit, and what they're reviewing with 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 their investors are two different conversations, different lingo, different language. Um, so, how do you suggest women who may have experience in in you know the kind of core single family duplexes, you know, triplexes, even a ten unit, and you get into the larger. It's a it's a larger deal. You know, it's a, it's a different ball game, even in just understanding how. Um, what their plan is and, and, and everything really quite honestly. So you're not gonna know it like the operator because if that was the case, you'd be the operator. We all know that, but what? how much do you need to know? And, and how do you make sure you have enough information about that project that you feel comfortable enough to wire that 100 grand, 50 grand, 200 grand? Cause that's a big deal and to your point, you can do your due diligence and it's still sometimes definitely not
0: work. Yeah, right. So there's no guarantees. I mean, whenever we do this kind of investing, we're putting on our big girl panties, right? Yeah. Um, No, it doesn't matter who recommended the deal or who you trust. In the end, it's your money and it's your responsibility. So um, I do recommend, you know, being aware of how syndication works, you know, so doing some reading is important. Um, I do have a a book, which is called the, The Busy Professional's Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. And that has, it's a primer on syndication and it's quick, you know, you can read it in probably three to four hours. Um, so, you know, just so you understand the lingo, so you understand how it works. So you understand what NOI is and cap rate and all those types of things that you're going to hear on the webinar, for example, and um, also make sure that you read through the PPM, not just the glossy investment summary. And if you don't understand something in there, then ask because that's where you might run into trouble. Like what do those fees mean? And, when will I get my capital? And how long is my money locked up? And, you know, things like that, because the bigger the deal gets, the the more the more pages in the PPM and, the, the, you know, the harder it can be to understand. Um, Joe Fairless has a great book on apartment syndication, a big red book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it really goes into more detail than most passive investors would need, most limited partners. Um, but I found it very helpful, even though I'm not going to necessarily be doing what he talks about in there. I found it really helped me to understand the performas and the T12 and the you know the income and financials.
2: Yeah, and as a passive investor, you really do need to think like the active investor. You need to know those things. It's like it's like you know me and my husband managing properties for many years and then hiring a third party. Well, we were in a position to now? Okay, what's your vacancy rate? What do you do when this happens? Like we knew the questions to ask because we lived it, right? So to your point, learning on that like the doing side from from that perspective is so helpful because then you don't necessarily have to do the doing, but you need to know the questions to ask, you know, and you know how to manage that. Um, I love what you're doing now, you're doing, um Land entitlement. Can I I ask a quick question before we go? Of course. Sorry. Sorry. I just have a quick
1: question. Usually, Uh, you
2: put your finger up and you make sure you tell me that you have questions here, my dear. Sorry about that. I can't completely read your mind. Sorry.
1: I just need to go to one (laughs) quick question before we go. That Vanessa, I think that we talked about like what are the 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 due diligence and questions you got to ask prior of the deal. Let's go a little bit further. The deal closed and now things are are moving along. As an investor on the ongoing uh, stage, what in your opinion, what makes a, a, a syndicator like a great syndicator or what's working in terms of communication? What would you like to see more or what are, things that did not work at all because I think it's important for syndicators that are listening and for other folks that are investing um, to have a clear idea about what to expect after the deal close. So talk about what what has been working for you in terms of of best practices.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love to see good communication. (laughs) Monthly updates are very important, not a quarterly update um, for most multifamily deals where there's a lot going on. Um, so, I like to see a monthly update email with, you know, uh, some pictures of the property, what's going on, and quarterly financials should definitely be available for anybody to review. And, uh, you know, I always end my emails to my investors with "Call me if you have any questions." You know, I'm always available to talk about the deal and, and what's going on. And, you know, most importantly, if something is wrong, let everybody know right away. You know, uh, let several of my properties were impacted by the cold weather in the Southeast last year and, you know, all the operators that I work with, with my investors, they had, you know, reports going out the next week, you know, this is what's going on. This is, yes, it's going to set us back. We have to do some repairs, et cetera. Um, You know, if this hotel guy had told us what was going on and, and then he said, you know what, we're going to keep your money and we're probably going to pay you some percentage return for holding it or something like that, then I wouldn't be so mad. You know, I still don't have my money back. And apparently they're going to close, but you know, there needs to be good communication monthly um and uh, ability to get that person on the phone if you need to great
2: yeah love that
4: the dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting from finding the best guests to the maintenance to organizing the cleaners after every guest day with vacasa they make that dream into a reality If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets.
2: the, um, where was I going? So Andressa. Land. Got me off my, okay, yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I get easily distracted. So Vanessa, a little bit that we were connecting prior to our, our interview with you, we were talking a little bit about land entitlement and just, I'd love to just dive into that a little bit with you and talk about what it is, uh, why you're focused on, on that niche, and also, you know, where women can, what can they learn from that? You know, not just not just land, but also just the idea of a unique niche right now because the market is so hot. It is so overcrowded in so many places. So the question I've always been saying, especially in our our groups too, um, with Andressa and we, our members and women that we help is where everyone's looking, you should be kind of looking somewhere, it's like, you know, and that's when you know you're you're up to something uh unique because it's like don't don't make bad decisions, don't spend too much money right now. So so tell us a little bit more about land and what you're doing and uh, that'd be
0: great. Okay, great. Yeah, so land entitlement uh, is the taking of of raw land to an entitled lot. It's also called a paper lot or shovel ready. So raw land to shovel ready. And so what that is, is it's a a pretty detailed process. It takes about seven steps to get land ready to go so that it can be built. Um, It requires um, an environmental proposal to make sure that there's no um, toxic nuclear waste or something like that in the land or, you know, a lot of nasty stuff. Um, Find out is the um, traffic going to work in the area, you have to get permits from the city, Um, you need to make sure that the soil is good, that there aren't giant boulders underneath that would need to be removed or anything that would basically stop someone from putting in the infrastructure to build a, a community, you know, a neighborhood. And so the people who buy this land are typically the national home builders, the D.R. Horton, the Leonard, Ryan Homes, et cetera. So the reason that, that they want to buy shovel-ready lots or land-entitled lots is because they don't want the risk. It reduces their risk to purchase the land when it's ready to go. It also shortens the timeline that they have between owning the land and getting the home sold, right? So um, they used to do this whole process themselves internally, um, they would buy the raw land, get it entitled, and then build. Um, being that they're large corporate companies, we all know what a bureaucracy is like, it takes longer for them to get the land entitled. Um, they have their specialists, but they have a lot more rules to follow. Also, um, in the downturn in 2008 and 2009, of course, they had a bunch of land that they had purchased, and then it, it became virtually worthless overnight because nobody was building any new homes for quite a while. And so they got caught with their pants down, basically, and... Almost all of them have the same internal corporate policies now where they do not like to purchase raw land. The people who do the per, do this process are called land asset managers, and they're a very specialized niche, and they know their stuff, and they need to be regional. So basically, um, the folks that I'm working with are in near Charlotte, you know, in the Carolinas, and the the land asset managers for this company live there, and they know the, the guy in the city who does this and the engineer who does that. And so it's not like something you can do from across the country. It's very hands-on for the, for the LAMs, the land asset managers. And so the company that I'm working with, the operator, they have a lot of experience in building homes. They do build for rent. That's kind of been their niche where they would build up homes and rent them or do a turnkey or, or something like that. So they were doing great with that. I mean, they're doing okay. And, then some of the, um, the national home builders approach them saying, hey, can we have that land once you've got it ready? They're like, well, why would we do that? We're, we're going to build on it. I said, we'll give you, you know, 2x what you paid for it. Oh, well, that got their attention. And so <laughs> now, they're, you know, now they're buying the land that the, the home builders want them to buy. You know, Leonard will say, I want that land. Can you please get ready? We'll buy it. We'll give you an LOI. And they even don't purchase the land until it's for sure that it's going to work. So they do put in about fifty to hundred grand of due diligence. They get the process started on all of those different steps. Um, so and they find out if they run into any roadblocks. And even further, sometimes they do a simultaneous close. So they don't actually even own the land. They buy it and sell it really on the same day, which really reduces your risk because you know if you're buying a plot of land, say five hundred lots in Charlotte goes for about six million, and so. say you buy the 6 million and then something comes up, you know, that could be a risk, but if you really get it right up to the close where they're ready to buy it. um, I did a deal with some investors in December, which will close in August. And it was that exact situation, 500 uh, lots. Uh, We paid 6.5 million for it, put about a million into all the work and we'll sell it. They're bidding on it. I mean, we had an LOI for 14.5 and it's actually going to go a little bit higher than that, I think. So it's a very profitable niche, but it's also very, specialized. So it's not a DIY thing. So it's not like you just say, I'm going to do this too. Um, you have to rely on operators who know what they're doing in the space.
1: I love that. And those are single or multi?
0: These are single. These are single family homes in the affordable home space. So Wonderful. as we all know, houses are like flying off the shelves right now. We are several million dollars, several million homes in the whole nationally we need to build. And of course we know inventory is low everywhere and um, you know there aren't a lot of foreclosures on the market due to you know moratoriums and such, and I'm sure that will change. But it's going to take three to five years, I think, before the inventory is going to meet demand.
1: It's 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 fascinating because from 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 both sides is a win win, right? For the person who is uh, doing that, uh, the entire process they can get two x or even more, um, and for the builder can start building next day. Um, we had a scenario where we build three houses next to each other. It was shovel ready um, and I, I, we closed, I think it was on a, uh, on a Monday and Tuesday we, we had the, all the equipment there to start excavating and it, it saves a lot of money in that time frame of like going back and forth with the CD and all the paperwork necessary for it. So to me it's a win-win on both situations. So in your opinion, right, you you're diversifying different different areas. Talk to me about the importance of of putting your eggs in different strategies and how do you make that decision?
0: Yeah, that's that's super important. And I'm just learning more about that in the past year because for the first you know part of my investing journey i had all my eggs in multifamily, pretty much and they were almost all in texas so you know um that's not the best way to do it but these were the deals i was i knew the people you know and it's so easy when you know and trust someone to keep doing deals with them but it's very important to go branch outside and learn and it takes effort because you have to meet new people you have to vet new operators you have to maybe do some more homework you know but Right now, um, I actually gave the talk at um, Multifamily Investor Nation in January on diversifying your portfolio. And basically showing um, that my portfolio used to be um, almost all multifamily. And then now I've got this rainbow of different asset classes and locations. Of course, it's, it's two things that you need to diversify into. And you're so much more protected if you have, um, I'm just talking about real estate here, but if you've got some multifamily, maybe you have some self-storage, some mobile home parks, maybe a little bit of industrial office, retail, hospitality, et cetera. And while one or the other might seem kind of scary to you and be like, Oh no, no, I'm not going to do any office space because COVID da da da. You know um, if you find the right operator, then it could be very lucrative because, you know, like Liz said, when people are running away from something, maybe that's the time when you should be looking at it. And everybody says office is going to do terrible. Well, you know, there might be some deals there. Same thing with hotels. People are obviously going to come back to hotels and, you know, I didn't do well with my hotel yet, but, you know, hopefully it will improve. So, you know, I do, um, I think it's worth it to actually do an asset allocation on your money. And that's what this group that I work with helps me with and has targets. So it's a little more scientific than just like, oh, I like that deal or I don't like that deal. So, for example, for me, I don't have anything in, in industrial right now. So I'm actively seeking to fill that, like, say, 4% of my portfolio with some industrial you know, and then whenever an opportunity comes up, that's outside of my normal region, I'm going to look at that more closely as well. Everything I have has been in mostly in the South. So Arizona, Texas, and some Florida, and those are great markets, but if something comes up in Indianapolis and it's doing well, then, you know, I, I'd like to diversify into different areas as well.
2: Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I, I love what you're saying. We, we had, um, uh, Cody Sanchez on uh, as, as a uh, part of Love our, um, yeah, she's great. And she uh, we've had her on our podcast. She spoke at our, our summit last year and she's just great. And she mentioned how important it is for, for, for people. And I always translate that to women. Cause that's our, that's who we serve um, to think of themselves as like a fund manager. And, and that's exactly what I hear from you as you're speaking of you, what you're up to is like it's not just this like, oh, I'm just doing this to, to make X return. Like you're being very strategic. And I think that's what it takes, you know, and, and I think that's so helpful to hear your thinking and your approach, because more, more and more women who are, especially women, you might, you you know, I know for us, right, my husband and I for 15 years have been active, 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 active. And and this year, <laughs> 15 years later, you know, we're selling a building, we're doing some things that I, I think we're going to be in the you know, just doing more passive investing, not just in our own deals, which really we've been strict with. We've just been kind of, you know, funding money into our own projects and deals. So it's exciting to think about that because it's like a new phase, right? And that's going to be one of my responsibilities. I'm taking the lead on that. And now you have a hat on that's like, okay, it's not just the what's the best deal. This is like you're a fund manager. You're looking at hedging your 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 risk and 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 mitigating your risk. Um, and how do you vet the how do you vet the deal? How do you vet the operator, especially for a niche that we don't know. We know multifamily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now I'm, I, I love self-storage. I always have, and I haven't done anything there or we haven't done anything there, but Hey, what do I need to learn? Right. And it's like, it's like this whole thing that I think women, I think people, especially women, um, are fluttering kind of like, I want to do something new. I want to manage my fund, you know, my funds and really build wealth. I don't want to make mistakes. And, you know, cause I have in the past and it's just moving through that. How do you, How do you move through that? I mean, you're, you're, you're moving through that you know, by doing as many deals you're doing and you have this rainbow approach, which I love. How do you, your mindset, how do you then move through that and say, no, I can do this? Or are you just someone who's always been really confident in new areas? I mean, what, what do you tell yourself? How do you set yourself up for success, especially when it comes to this you know, new niche like you're doing?
0: Well, yeah, I think it's important to do your research and learn as much as you can, but at some point you have to just act. And, you know, and when you look at it scientifically, it makes it much easier. Um, it's not emotional. It's like, okay, for example, um, I invested in precious metals last year. And I had always heard that that was, you know, gold does nothing but collect dust, you know, doesn't collect interest. And why would you do that? Um, and then I had kind of a snake oil salesman probably 15 years ago trying to get me to buy like a ton of silver and leverage everything I had, you know, to one of those seminars. And so it's not about all or nothing things aren't good or bad they have their pros and cons and so i have some currency now i just precious metals i haven't gotten into bitcoin yet but um it's 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 only going to be three to four percent of my portfolio and so for me that is a scientific hedge against other things and when i diversify my portfolio in a manner that is predetermined then that is going to provide me wealth no matter what happens that's the idea and um, you can't get emotionally stuck on well I don't like that or I don't you know because it's it's more about just being um, being smart and looking at what other people have done and you don't have to love it you don't have to do a ton of it but it's about putting just a little bit and therefore if it does go south and say I'm completely wrong on something I know that I'll be okay and so that's that's a big part of it too
2: Absolutely. I love that. And and you are mitigating your risk by doing that, you know, and, and that's so important now, especially I think COVID taught us a lot of things, but that's certainly one thing that I think I got, we got from it. I personally got from it just, wow. Okay. So, you know, things you are out of your control. What, what, how can you mitigate your risk? Things that you don't even
0: anticipate could ever
2: have happened. Exactly. Things you do not even anticipate ever happening. Like what happened in Texas, right? That, that was never, no one ever thought, right. That, that, Folks would lose their heat and to be cold, and, and you know that that's a whole concept that no one would have predict, predict uh, predicted. Um, Vanessa, this has been awesome. I uh, really appreciate you sharing all your great um, thoughts and suggestions, and I love I love that idea of just that you're you're totally taking the lead as the investor and the fund manager of your family. Love it. I just I just love that. It's so encouraging. So where can the women listening learn more about you and learn more about all the great things you're doing?
0: Uh, You can get in touch with me uh, through either my website, which is vmdinvesting.com. Also, email is vanessa at vmdinvesting.com. Those are the easiest ways to reach out to me.
1: And you have a free gift for our community. Is that right? Oh, yeah. On my
0: website, um, you can um, you can click on the link, which gives you the first three chapters to my book. It's also available on Amazon. As you can see, it's not very big. So, you know, it just takes a couple hours to get through.
1: Awesome. <laughs> and we're going to add all this information on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Vanessa, is what's the most transformational book have you ever read?
0: Well, um, I would have to say The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Um, that was one of the things that propelled me on my path to, um, I, I heard about him on Bigger Pockets, and then it led to this rabbit hole of going to personal development and joining masterminds and just expanding my network. So that's, that really transformed my life. And the one thing is another one, because um, I, like all of us, I get uh, distracted by new ideas and shiny objects. And so uh, focus on the one thing.
1: And the second question is, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life?
0: Well, um, I do try to have um, mindfulness in my life, and that is a 10-minute morning meditation to a Spotify playlist that I really just helps me drop in really fast and make sure I start my day centered. I also need to get out in nature every day, do some walking, you know, hopefully with my son or get ride bikes, you know, get outside. And so that's how I I balance and center
1: myself. Great. And the last question is, which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most?
0: I would have to be my mom. So she went through some hard times. She didn't graduate high school and um, we lost my dad when I was only six years old. And so she struggled a lot, but she has always maintained the most positive attitude. And, um, she left, um, an abusive stepfather when I was in high school and I was kind of a brat, you know, and, but she did it anyway. And she took us to a city and got us back on her feet. And she's always encouraged me no matter what, And she's been my biggest cheerleader and my best friend.
2: That's remarkable. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, well, Vanessa, thank you so much for being with with us, being you know sharing your story, sharing your journey with you you know our community. So we just appreciate you and appreciate all your time. Thank you so
0: much. I had a great time with you guys.
1: Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor dot There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community